Sorry, my phone's blowing up. I guess I, uh, people are like, did, did you send me this email? So I think I have some kind of virus or something. So if you got an email from me, don't open it. Um, so my wife's trying to fix it right now. So just found that out. And uh, it's a little too high. Come on, now we're going to preach. Ephesians 6. If you can, if you're sitting next to somebody, uh, let's go ahead and grab a hand and pray. Uh, dear Lord in heaven, God, thank you so much for all you've given us, God. Thanks for this time to be together. Uh, God, I know there's so much going on in the world. God, it's so special to have this time once every Sunday, God, once a week where we can be together. God, and we can be reminded of you. God, be reminded of how awesome and amazing you are. God, it's great to see uh, the leaves in bloom, God, to see the uh, trees, God, to just be reminded of how amazing and intricate, God, you are and how amazing your creation is. And God, I pray that we can, uh, we can worship the creator, God, and not the created. God, that we can be reminded, God, of, of how awesome and powerful you are, God, and not any of these things, but have them be a sign that points us back to you. Uh, God, we're so grateful for all you've done for us. God, we're grateful to be here. We're so, so in love with who you are. And in Jesus Christ's name, amen. amen. Uh, I have a little bit of good news to share. Uh, so yesterday we had an amazing wedding, but before that, actually last Wednesday, we had a baptism, uh, which was great. Uh, Greg Halstead, you want to stand up, Greg? Greg Halstead got baptized last Wednesday. Uh, there he is uh, in the Ravana River. So uh, Greg's a senior at Louisa High School. Uh, so uh, pretty exciting last Wednesday, him being able to make that decision to get baptized. Also yesterday, we had a great, amazing wedding, uh, Aaron and Lillane. Uh, the Cripe wedding yesterday, uh, so it's been good to have a lot of people in town for the Cripe wedding, uh, a lot of our Filipino uh, brothers and sisters, uh, which is great. Uh, it was really a special time. It was an awesome time. I know a lot of people are back in town. Uh, you know, I know uh, Kevin Mast is back in town for that. I know the Ristons are here. Brian is up here playing guitar, and uh, I know the Kirklands are here from Florida, right? Kirk- Kirkland, right? Is that the right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, back from Florida, uh, you know, to visit. Um, and uh, the Wetzels, the Rosenquist are here. Uh, there's a lot of great people uh, in town visiting. Just want to welcome everybody. Uh, it was so cool to see uh, uh, the Valencias yesterday do the wedding ceremony yeah. and be able to see all that. All in the midst of actually, I think Aaron waited to, to have the wedding when he knew we were preaching on Ephesians 5. Uh, <laughs> so that way it would be all the more applicable for us. Um, we're actually going to start off in Ephesians 6.1. We just finished Ephesians 5. Uh, and the title of my lesson today is Fulfillment Through Selfless Service. Fulfillment Through Selfless uh, Service. So I got a confession to make. I'm not a parent. Uh, we got any parents out there? I think probably half the room, maybe a little, a little bit less than half. We got a lot of parents. Uh, we're going to be talking about parenting today. Uh, we're also going to be talking about uh, children today. So if any of us happen to be children of somebody, it will apply to us, uh, which is convenient. For those of you that were eager to be like, I'm not a parent, time to doze off. Um, you know, we're, it's, it's awesome what the passage here is going to do uh, for all of us. And I grew up uh, in a family. Uh, my parents, uh, very strong disciples. Um, uh, you know, they were converted in the campus ministry at Kansas State University. Uh, and I love my parents. My parents are amazing. Um, my parents had, didn't really have a great example uh, of, of how to be raised in a godly way. Neither of them did. Um, they have great, wonderful parents. I have great, amazing grandparents on both sides who are outstanding, very loving. They did best they, they, they could, and they, they did an awesome job. Um, but, you know, parenting without, without the Bible, 
Parenting without, without God is, is very difficult. Parenting uh, in general is very difficult. Uh, in fact, you know, it's, it's very easy to talk about parenting and feel um, discouraged or feel like you're blowing it somehow or you, you, you blew it. Because it's just there's, there's so many subtle ways for dysfunction to creep in and for Satan to really stop us from having great relationships with our kids. Um, and, and parenting is so, so, so important. Uh, you know, as we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, uh, it says, Children, obey your parents. That's pretty blunt. Where's my teens? I know we've got a couple teens in the front. Jaden, I see Jaden back there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Amen. That's all we need right there. <laughs> Have a good lunch. Uh, gotta love it when the scripture is, is blunt, right? Children, obey for two reasons. Well, it's in the Lord and it's right. It's right. That word right means, it, you know, it's, 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 it's an honorable thing to do. It's a good thing to obey your parents. But obey them in the Lord. We're, we're going to talk about what that means in a second. Verse 2. He's going to quote the Old Testament here. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on earth. You know, children, uh, it's important to obey. It's difficult to obey. That's not an easy thing to obey. Uh, I remember growing up, different kids have different struggles, different sins, right? I have two siblings. I'm the middle one. Uh, my older, uh, older sister, she's awesome. Uh, she, she didn't struggle so much with the outward uh, uh, sort of easy-to-see sins. Her sins were much more of the heart, much more uh, you know, self-righteousness, arrogance, these things. So she didn't get spanked a lot. She, didn't get, she hardly ever got spanked, actually. My brother and I were significantly more spanked. We were, we were a package deal most of the time, uh, you know, one with the other. And, uh, but my brother was, he was like a world-class spanky. He was spanked so much. And a lot of us know, a lot of us know Ed Anton. He leads our family of churches in, in the ACR uh, region. And Ed actually studied the Bible with my parents. And when Ed would come over to our house in Dallas to study the Bible, uh, I heard this story much late, years later. That he would come over and that my dad, once or twice or even three times through the duration of one Bible study, would have to leave the Bible study to go spank my brother and come back. Uh, and my brother, my brother is like the rebellion champ. I mean, he would get spanked. He would be, you know, red, heart pounding, blood boiling, tears streaming out of his eyes, just having, you know, freshly received a spanking. And then, and then he would like, whatever he had just touched, he would just go up to it and be like, like, take that, you know, and then, so, you know, like, my mom and dad are like, you know, spanking, it's not done in anger, it's not done to, to, to hurt, it's done, okay, this is the rule, you've broken the rule, we've established this, there are consequences for breaking that rule, so calmly, you've broken the rule yet again, so here comes the spanking, you know, and my brother, it just, it took him three or four times uh, to really, you know, for me, usually it was just the threat of the spoon uh, uh, did it with me, but my brother, and so, 15 years later, when I saw Ed, I moved to Virginia, went to school in Virginia and saw Ed again. And one of the first questions Ed asked me was, hey, how's your brother? Did he turn out okay? Uh, he's like, is he doing all right? Because like, Ed's, Ed's perspective was like, he's, just, he's, he's a troublesome kid. Is he going to be okay? 
My brother's doing great. My brother's doing great. He's a disciple. He lives in Atlanta. He's, a, he's in, uh, getting his MBA at Georgia Tech. So there you go. He's doing okay. But that was just his struggle. It was a little different. It was a little different. He's a different kid. Different struggles. You know, parenting is difficult because kids are different. People are different. Uh, we, all, we all need to receive discipline in different ways. Uh, and we need a lot of help with this. But obedience is crucial. I'm going to be looking up here a lot because you guys are all right here. <laughs> you know, obedience, obedience is crucial. Uh, actually, in the, Old Test- in the Old and New Testament, disobedience was a sign that you didn't know God. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 30, I'm just going to read it. Romans, uh, Paul's going to describe uh, people here. He says, uh, these Gentiles, people who don't know God, gave them over to a depraved mind. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are all full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips. God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and hateful, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They are disobedient to their parents. Imagine that one. That's li- murder. They invent, you know, they're disobedience. Right alongside this list. Uh, yeah, around this time when, when the book of Ephesians was written, yeah, that was the indicator. Man, that kid's disobedient. They must not know God. Wow. They must not know Christ. Because if they knew Christ... They knew God, surely, surely they would obey. And that's difficult as a parent because you, it's so easy just to teach right and wrong for arbitrary reasons because mommy and your daddy said so, right? That's, we, like, we like that a lot. It's much harder to teach because of who Christ is. Um, and, you know, verse 4, go to the fathers here. Fathers, mothers, do not exasperate your children. Do not provoke them to frustration, basically. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We're just going to stop there for today. Nice little, little, little scripture. But there's a lot here. Children obey. Parents, fathers, don't, don't exasperate your kids. Don't. Colossians 3.20 is the parallel passage for this passage. And that one says, don't exasperate them because then they could become disheartened. Your kids could become discouraged. Um, and there's a lot of ways that we could exasperate our kids, you know. And we could be overly critical of nagging. Uh, we, could be, we could even be enmeshed. Sometimes we think it's just, har- you know, like outwardly harmful ways or oppressive or abrasive ways of parenting sometimes when you're too involved in your kid's life that's also very destructive for them uh, as well and I, I i see that that's actually probably more of a struggle with the world today that we're a little too involved we're child-centric uh and we think and it, it gives off the impression of selflessness oh no it's not for me it's for my kid but it's really just an extension of you it's to become your idol uh so your kid's success is linked to your own success their identity is linked to your identity and so it really is just an extension of self, and we can disguise it in clever ways. And it's so easy to, 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 to struggle in parenting. Now, I'm not a parent, so this is all just from research, you know. <laughs> but I hope someday to have some personal stories to share with you uh, on, this, on this front. But I have been a kid who, who's grown up in a family with amazing parents. Now, my parents have made a ton of mistakes, right? And we, it's great, because when you're a kid, they tell you. And I remember my dad would come in and apologize to me. And I was like, there's nothing you need to apologize for. I mean, this, this is all my fault. You know, you're good. You're doing fine, Dad. I didn't want to, ang- you know, anger him. Uh, I was like, you're doing great. Just keep it up, Dad. Well done. Uh, uh, big fan over here. Don't bring out the spoon, you know. Uh, just, just. But the more, as I get older, I really appreciate them more and more. Um, if I could be half, half the father my dad has been to me. I mean, amazing, amazing. But they've made mistakes. I've had to have talks with my mom. I've had to have reconciliation talks with my mom and my dad, too, about mistakes. But learning to forgive and learning to grow. You know, parenting is so important. 
And God knows this. The Bible is about a lot of people being parents of a lot of other people. You know, parenting is, is very important. And sometimes, actually, according to a recent study, I think this will sufficiently scare all of us, but according to a study, we can think, I'm actually just going to read the study here. Um, it's called Unhealthy Parenting Promotes Mental Illness. A group of researchers looked at 593 families and their kids from two counties uh, between 1975 and 1993, made up of parents with and without mental illness. Their aim was to examine the association between parents' mental health, unhealthy parenting behavior, and offspring mental health. One of their findings was that the children who developed mental illness, aka depression, anxiety disorder, substance abuse, personality disorder, ADHD, panic disorder, social phobia, OCD, antisocial personality disorder, and PTSD, did so primarily because of unhealthy parenting. Wow. Uh, we have a tendency to believe that, that, that this is a, a result of genetics, but more often than not, it's more frequently because of unhealthy parenting, um, the devastation of unhealthy parenting. Uh, now, now we, we can read that and we can be, oh man, I've blown it. And I, I even, you know, I'm reluctant to share that because a lot of us can have guilty consciences, accused consciences, and we can struggle with that. And, oh man, I, have I been an you know, unhealthy parent? Or we can even sometimes think about our parents. Oh man, my mom, my dad. But it is so, it's so crucial in how we, we view life and how we go about uh, living. And, and the world has a very specific way of dealing with, with kids. And it seems to change pretty often. I was talking to a brother last night, Brian Riston, about how nowadays it's just like, you know, kids, they got to have autonomy. They got to have their own voice. They got to be independent. I've overheard so many conversations in Charlottesville. I remember I overheard this, this woman at the Monticello Trail. And she was like, I really don't want to tell my daughter that she's doing anything wrong because it's so important that she have her own voice and she be independent and she know that she's not inferior to her brothers. So I'm not going to speak up to her, but... Gosh, she is so bossy. Uh, and she's like, I don't know how to tell her that she's so bossy. But I don't want to tell her that because I want her to have a strong voice. And so she was wrestling with this, you know, kind of like conundrum of, of what do I do? And we can also, we can swing both ways on the pendulum of, of a lot of discipline. And then what does that discipline look like? Or just free reign. Whatever you do is going to be okay. I'm never going to ever discipline you because my parents did it to me and I hated that. Or my parents did it to me and I loved that. And we're just, we would become uh, a slave star culture. Yeah. Slave star culture. But culture changes its perspective on parenting quite often. Yeah. You know, kids, they can talk about, talk about kids growing up, you know. I think one of the big struggles with kids is entitlement. There's a lot of, I deserve this. This is my phone. That's not your phone. It's your parents' phone. And if they want to have blocks on it, they will do so. Uh, but I deserve it. This is mine. I've earned it. And earlier and earlier in life, we see an entitlement. If I deserve this. I deserve that. Now, I don't like to think that I was entitled, but I probably was. Uh, actually, yeah, talking to my dad in research for this. Uh, I was indeed entitled. So, you know, we can think, oh, man, it's just kids today. I think you know, most kids in all generations have struggled with it, struggled with different sins. But we have to be very keenly aware of what the world's teaching so we can respond appropriately. Because yeah. uh, what's, what's, what's this uh, scripture infused with? Do it, obey, but don't just obey because. Obey in the Lord, yeah. because it's right. You gotta obey in the Lord. You, your relationship with the Lord should govern your obedience. Uh, not just because, because what if mom and dad tell you to do something that God wouldn't? You gotta be able to discern. Okay, I need to obey in the Lord. What would Jesus do? How about how we parent? Are we bringing them up in the instruction of my personal experience or in the instruction of 
the Lord? What does the Bible say? What do others say? Uh, you know, are, are we getting advice? I think I'm going to try to zoom out here. I know not all of us are parents, not all of us. Even if we aren't parents, so we, we all want to see all the kids here in the Blue Ridge Church know, know Jesus yeah. and to be able to, to, to come to the gospel and, and live truly in freedom. So we actually, even if you're not a biological parent, and a lot of us in this room have been parents in, in certain ways, we're, we're, we're parents in some ways to, to younger, younger folks, but also just in our relationships. And I think the one thing that causes us to struggle, kids, uh, children, to struggle to obey your parents, for parents to struggle to bring up their kids in the instruction of the Lord, and for the rest of us who are not parents, our relationships, the one thing that gets in the way is self-centeredness. If we actually zoom back to chapter 5, verse 21, this whole section is governed by one idea. Now, right before this, uh, we talked about it at church last week, right before this, Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. The roles in marriage. But in verse 21, this verse governs the entire passage, and it's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think we have a submission problem. None of us want to submit. We have a culture that hates it. Yeah. Oh, man. We, you know, it, it makes sense, right? Politics, you want to be strong. You want to beat the enemy. Whoever the enemy is, let's beat him. Uh, you know, you want to you wanna do well. You want success. We don't like to submit. Uh, we struggle with submission because our whole lives we're told. And we, we hear things like independence is a good thing and, and I'm, you know, a self-made man or being industrious. But we don't like to submit but listen, you know, the challenge here is we've got to submit to one another. If we can't submit to one another, it's, you're not going to be able to be the husband that, that you need to be for your wife. You're not going to be able to. Uh, if, you don't, if you're not able to submit, and all submit means, I just have a little arrow. Submit means to like sub beneath, right? And to commit yourself to submit, to, to go beneath someone, to, to let, let them have it. Let their interests be more important than your interests. Uh, and it could be as simple as, oh, what, what movie you want to watch? But it could also be something a little bit different where your interests collide. Who's going to be the first to submit? Who's going to be the first to submit? Now, the wife's role in marriage, not with everybody, but in marriage is to submit. This is, this is the goal. This is the challenge. I'm going I'm to get to why a bit later. But, but there's, 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 there's a role of, okay, the wife, well, the husband's role is to sacrifice his life like Christ did. So if you want to change roles, let me know. Uh, and so the husband's role to sacrifice his life. Uh, for, uh, for his wife, like Christ did. If you don't know how Christ did that, check it out. Uh, but that's our calling. But the thing is, is we, we cannot do it uh, if, if, we, if we do not submit. But I think we have a submission problem. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get a little uh, uh, therapy, counseling. Uh, let's get into our hearts a bit uh, on why this is. And I think that it's because in every way you look at it, however you look at it, we are all wounded. Even if you're a guy like, man, nothing anybody does affects me. Uh, you have a hard heart. You're still wounded. Like those days you're angry but don't know why. You're wounded. You just don't know why. You haven't diagnosed why. But, but we get wounded. We get emotionally hurt. Right? Fathers who, who leave, leave us. Mothers who leave us. Uh, relationships. Romantic relationships. Um, you name it. Uh, abuse. Uh, God forbid. Abuse situations. We get hurt, we get wounded, and then we try to fix the problem. 
We try to medicate the emotional pain. We, try to, we all try to cope. We, we figure out ways to cope. And uh, that, how we decide to cope is what results either in our disobedience as kids, our lack of uh, godly parenting, or fractured relationships for any of us. So how we cope is a big deal. Uh, how we decide to cope. And we've got to be really aware because our, our lack of discernment on this front uh, can lead to so many things. Uh, parenting takes discernment. Parents need to know the difference between teaching discipline and not being harsh. Parents need to know the difference between being affectionate without being enmeshed. How about being involved but not creating dependence? Showing empathy but not being permissive. Showing healthy indignation, healthy anger while not sinning in your anger. Having healthy standards, but, show, but not showing conditional love. That's difficult. Come, oh my goodness. I read that like I got chills. That was, I, you know, that's difficult. And I, I need help with that. I think parenting helps us. Hum, we get humble because we realize just how much we don't have it all together. But the, the, the struggle is, is that we try to, emotion, uh, we try to medicate emotional pain with, with more selfishness. And the world says this, right? Oh, it, you know, it didn't work out with that, with that guy or girl. Well, you should get a, get a career that, that you can really, you know, that you really love and dedicate your life to that career or, you know, or, you know, pursue your dreams. What do you want? You want to travel? Travel. You want to get that house? Buy the house. You want to go? Get that. Get, do what you want to do. And we think that if we, we have more selfishness, we'll actually be happier. But the world sets us up for a disappointing failure. That more selfishness does not make us happy. But we think that, right? Man, if I could just have my phone all the time. You think a 15-year-old boy, right? If I could just have my phone and my mom got off my back about my phone. And if I could just have all the access I wanted to all these websites and apps, man, I'd be so happy. Some of us go, no, you won't. Actually, more selfishness does not make you happier, right? Uh, I, I use this example all the time. A lot of us want freedom. We're really grateful on those highways for those those guardrails in between the two, the two lanes. Restriction actually brings freedom. We can go faster because we have restriction there between the two lanes, right? So restriction actually brings freedom. And so a lot of times we get sucked into the world, though, of no restriction. Just do what you want. Do what you feel. Uh, as long as it doesn't violate your, your conscience and don't tell me what to do. You know, I, I think parents, we can get enmeshed. We can get harsh. We can get permissive. Teens, we can be entitled and just so focused on what we want. Uh, it's just a scientific fact. The younger you are, the less empathy you show. You haven't lived life. So you can't really show empathy like a 40-year-old can. You haven't, you haven't gone through it. It's just science. I'm sorry. You have to accept it. <laughs> and I think for non-parents, for those of us that are not parents, I think we become isolated and independent. I'm just going to do what I want. You hurt my feelings. I'm going to retreat for a month to, pay, to punish you. And then I'm going to Get, come back and be your friend until you hurt me again. And now I'm going to punish. And, and, and it's just it's, it's selfishness. And it's difficult because it is difficult to submit. It is. It's difficult when you get your feelings hurt. Just yesterday, I got my feelings hurt. Can I tell you about it? Yesterday, I was watching uh, about 10 minutes, uh, maybe longer. You see, I did that. That was deceitful. It was about 30 minutes. Um, 
about 30 minutes of the Masters. That's why I love the Masters. It's on today, final round. We've got a great day coming up for the Masters. Um, and I, there was a great shot. Oh, it was a great shot. Um, and Jenny was on her phone. And I paused it and I rewound it. And I said, Jenny, watch this shot. This shot's amazing. And she goes, I can't right now. I'm busy. And I got my feelings hurt. I was, and so, so I played it. And then about five minutes later, she goes, okay, I can watch it now. And I said, nope, too late. <laughs> Missed your chance. You know? And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I'll watch it now. And I was like, oh, you're, I'm, it's okay. You know? It was a little tiny itty bitty thing, right? But what happened? She said, she didn't even know. She didn't even know. And I'm like over here like, I'm going to get her back. But it's too late. Can't watch the shot with me. How dare you? Um, but it's difficult. To, it's a tiny example, but it's difficult to submit. Yeah. It is because we get our feelings hurt and we go, my feelings are hurt. I'm going to get you back. I'm going to, I'm going to hurt. I'm going to, you know what I need? I'm going to go retreat. I'm going to disappear. I'm going to let go of my responsibilities. I'm going to pull back on relationships because I don't want to do, I, I, I got to get me. I got to take care of me. And we think with more me that we're going to be happy. But you know what? Selfishness does not bring about fulfillment. Right. Only selflessness does. Getting what you want will not make you happy. We get wounded and think that more self-centeredness can, will, will heal our emotional pain. But fulfillment only comes through selfless service. It only does. The world sets us up for massive disappointment and failure in our relationships because the truth is we are not made in God's... Or we are, because the truth is we are made in God's image. Now, keep that in mind. We're made in God's image, right? What's it say here? Submit to one another out of reverence. Now, a lot of English translations don't like the word fear because of the English language. So the word fear, we all think, oh, I'm afraid. Like, I'm afraid of spiders or sharks or something. So we don't, we don't like that word. We don't think, you shouldn't be afraid of God. You should never be afraid of God. That's what we think. We struggle with it because uh, of English and its connotations. Well, the, the, the word, the, the Hebrew word, the Greek word is, is phobos, like a phobia. But the, the, the Hebrew word is used all the time in the Old Testament. And it's got so many different connotations. Maybe we could look at a couple passages together. Try to get a sense because, listen, we got to submit. And the reason for it should be what? Our fear for Christ. Our fear. But what does that mean? To be so afraid of God. Is it like a punishment thing? Well, let's figure it out. Hop over to a, a Psalm. Psalm chapter 130. Now, while you're turning over to Psalm 130, if you have a notebook, jot down Proverbs 28, 14. Proverbs 28, 14. Because that's a confusing verse. It says, happy is the one who fears God always. Well, hold on a second. Happy is the one who fears God always. How can you be happy if you're fearing God? How? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. Keep that in mind. Psalm 130, verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. That's the ESV. Now, so far we've just seen that we should be happy and uh, upon seeing God's forgiveness. Now, the word fear really just means to be overwhelmed. It's just so, God is so much. It's like, for me, I feel that way when I see the ocean. It's just so much. Sure, there's an aspect of it that's I'm kind of scared of this thing because it's so powerful and it could kill me if it wants. But it's so big and it's so vast, I'm overwhelmed by it. And the thing is, is that when we really look at Christ, 
When we really see Christ, we see forgiveness. And when we see forgiveness, we are overwhelmed. We are overwhelmed because when we see what Christ has done for you, for you, for your sin, and when you can really see what you've done, now communion is amazing. Communion, we get a chance to kind of take our, to dip our toes in that a little bit of, man, I'm grateful for what Christ did because of what I've done. My sin, my deceitfulness, my pride, uh, my sexual sin, uh, you name it. All my sin. And the more we can see Christ's forgiveness, the, the more that we can actually fear God. Forgiveness and grace increase the fear of the Lord. Whoa. I love that. Forgiveness and grace increase the fear of the Lord. We've got to be overwhelmed by Christ's forgiveness. Today, are you? Are you overwhelmed by Christ's forgiveness? When we're overwhelmed by Christ's forgiveness... It's a lot easier to submit. It's a lot easier to submit. Now, I want to take just a little detour. Within the marriage relationship, yes. Now, see, church-wide, we're called to submit to one another. Within the marriage relationship, God has given us these specific roles as husband to to love your wife and to sacrifice for her and and for the wife to, to respect her husband, but also to submit to him. Now, why? Why? Why can't the man submit? In fact, I think most men in this room would probably be okay with that. Uh, most men struggle with laziness and apathy. I think the last thing God would want to do is enable that. Uh, most women struggle. I've got to be careful in this one. Uh, most women struggle uh, with being controlling. Like that little girl, a little bossy. So I think a part of it is, yeah, God wants to help us actually be more like the image of God by submitting in that way that men actually we need to lead. You need to actually think beyond yourself and lead your family. It's difficult for a man, for the most part. For a woman, you need to actually submit to his, to his rule. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. What was Adam's sin? Dude was lazy. He didn't do anything. He just sat around doing nothing. What was Eve's sin? She wanted to take control. And she thought she could be better than God and smarter than God. So we've been given these roles. But also, I just want to say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why God deemed these roles. That's a little bit of speculation, what I just said, right? I don't know. But here's the thing. We are made in the image of God, right? And God, in the image of God, is Christ. Now, what was Christ's role to submit to the Father? Why? I don't know. But it was. And Christ did it. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. I don't know why, why that was the role given to Christ. And you know what? Christ struggled with that role, didn't he? Philippians chapter 2. In the garden, he's like, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to die. But what does Christ do? It says he obeys. Kids, it says Christ obeys his, the Father. What does he do? Wives, he submits. Right? I'm, I'm so glad Christ lived out his role yeah. to submit to the Father. We are, made, we are made in God's image. God is selfless by nature. God has given us all this based on nothing we've done. In fact, most of us will, will, will hurt him a lot of the time. But he continues to give us 
despite us hurting him. God is selfless by nature. We're made in God's image. We can only find fulfillment by being selfless. True fulfillment comes from selfless service, not more selfishness. Philippians 2 verse 5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, basically he was essentially God. So he's not like, oh yeah, he's naturally inferior to God. No, no, no. Christ is he's God. He's essentially God. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to, be his, to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, it was Christ's role to submit to the Father. And did he, did he need help? Sure he did. He needed to pray. But let's be, let's be overwhelmed by Christ's forgiveness. Let's also be overwhelmed by Christ's example. Let's be overwhelmed by Christ's example. He didn't just forgive. It's not, it's not passive. There's a passive salvation that's, oh yeah, he died for me. There's an active salvation of he lived the life I should have lived. So he didn't just forgive you. He, actually, he's equipped you with an, a life example of how to live a life. He's equipped you. He's, he's, when God sees you, God sees Jesus. So the question is, why are we still trying to find fulfillment in all these other selfish things? If you can truly be overwhelmed by, by how God views you, if God views you as beautiful, who cares what that guy thinks? Who cares what that, that woman thinks? Who cares what your professor thinks? But we're, we're, a lot of times we're compelled, we're constrained, we're controlled by idols and other, other factors of, man, if, if this guy could just think I'm awesome, man, if I could just uh, do well, if I could get to success economically, economic independence. And a lot of times we trade different idols for other idols. I knew a woman and she was extremely resentful toward men because of bad relationships, because she got so much security out of a man that when they went south, as all these will inevitably go south, uh, she began to resent men and, and she was so angry and she couldn't move past her bitterness. So she was told by a therapist to go get a career, to go get a job, and then to really invest in that job. Well, she did. And so she thought, well, this is getting a little better. But now she's just exchanging. You know, every time she would be basically despondent, every time she suffered a romantic setback, now she's despondent whenever she suffers a career setback. So she's just exchanged one idol for another. She's like, well, I used to have an idol that women traditionally have. Now I have an idol that men traditionally have. No, great. Well, she went to church and she began to see, you know what? I'm not finding my worth in the right places. I don't see myself how God sees me. And the more she began to really be overwhelmed by Christ's forgiveness and Christ's example, she began to let go of her resentment, let go of her bitterness. She moved on. She was able to be at peace with her career. You know, God blessed her a few years later. She actually got married at the age of 40. She got married to an awesome guy. And she, she said, you know, if I had gotten married to that first guy, it would have been horrible. I would have idolized him. I would have looked to him for, for everything. But now I can be able to be married looking to God first. You know, she was overwhelmed by Christ's forgiveness and Christ's example. A lot of times we're compelled, constrained, or controlled uh, by factors of what our friends think, our peers. What do my, my friends think of me? You know, kids at school, right? What do my friends think? We're, we're, we're compelled or constrained by what our bosses think, what our wives think, what our kids think, or even what our, what our, how we view ourselves as a success or failure. But it's just going to be 
torture and, and trouble. And you're, you're, it's never, you're never going to be fulfilled that way because we're made in the image of God and God is selfless. 2 Corinthians 5.14. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ compels us. Another version says, The love of Christ constrains us. And another version says, The love of Christ controls us. That's 2 Corinthians 5.14. What are you compelled, constrained, or controlled by? Is it the love of Christ? Because if it's not, submission's impossible. I mean, you might do it, but it really just be for yourself. We can't do it. To, go, to, to serve, even if, even without God, even if you serve, you're doing it probably because you think it's right and you think it's best. You're really serving yourself. Yeah. So even though you fed that homeless guy, you did it because you thought you're a, you're a pretty stand-up guy now. Because you, you think it's good. It's truly selfless when you disagree with God to submit to his will. That's selfless. That's tough when you really disagree. But a lot of times we say, I'm not going to follow that because I disagree. Well, what are we doing? It's, it's not God. You're trying to be your own savior. You're trying to be your own savior instead of let Jesus do it. He's already done it. Jesus paid the price. He died the death for you. He lived the life for you. Only out of fear of the Lord Jesus will we be liberated to serve one another. You know, when you're a kid, you're a teen, I want to encourage you as a teen to study the Bible. The more you see Jesus, the easier it gets to obey mom and dad. It really does. Because the more you see Jesus, the more you fear God because of his forgiveness and his grace. So it's easy to let things go. When we have an emotional and a spiritual wealth, it's easy to let things slide when people hurt our feelings. Now see, when we're running on empty, everything someone says that's slightly harsh, we can't let it go. We gotta, we gotta be so at peace with God that even though that brother said something to me or that sister said something to me, they kind of hurt my feelings, I can let it go. Now if it's a big deal, I wanna talk to him about it, but you know what, I trust that they care about me. I'm gonna let it go. Christ let it go right? He said, forgive the Romans. They don't know what they're doing. When they nailed nail them to that cross, right? He didn't say, let's have a talk about it. He said, he said I forgive you. He said, I'm going to let it go. I forgive you. Even though you don't really know what you're doing, what's going on here. Only out of fear of the Lord will we, will we be liberated to serve one another. You know, when we really fear God, parents, we'll, we'll be able to understand grace that when we do make a mistake, there's grace. We can talk to our kids, but we're also getting a lot of help because being a parent is, is not an easy thing. We need a lot of help from the scriptures. The Bible's been enough for 2,000 years. Has it stopped being enough? Is the Bible still enough? Or is it not? Is it just supplementary? The Bible's enough. The Bible's enough. Are we getting help from each other? Are we bringing up our children in the instruction of the Lord? You know, that one study I said earlier about mental illness is scary. But it's important, I think, because God, God knows how important parenting is. I used to be a teacher uh, seventh grade. And I remember, you know, parents want me, want me to do these things and, you know, help their kids in certain ways. And I would always say, you know what, I can do that. But I get your kid for like 5%, 10% of his week. The other 90 is going to you. I need you, help, I need you to help me out on this and back me up. And a lot of times as parents, you're, you're, you're pulling the lion's share. And a lot of times it's your example that your kids see. You might be saying all the right things. How's your example? How's your example? Are you overbearing? Are you nagging him to death? Are you critical? Are you enmeshed? Are you obsessed with your kid? Are you too involved? 
right? A lot of times we can't see those things until we get outside perspectives, which is the beauty of the gospel of Christ. But how do we do it? How can we begin to really see this success in our relationships? So see, submit, because, man, what if we all did this, right? What if we all submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ? Everything would be awesome. It would be a blast. It wouldn't be like, hey, Aaron, you want to go see a movie? He's like, I want to see this movie. I want to see that movie. Well, I guess we're not hanging out, you know? <laughs> you know, we, we do a lot together as a church. I'm encouraged, but we do it. I'm encouraged by the people who helped at the wedding yesterday. So many people helped. There's a lot of selfless service that helped yesterday. Selfless service. Thankless jobs, you know? But when you got home at night and you were tired, I bet you weren't like, I stinking Aaron and Lorraine at the wedding. <laughs> No, you were tired, but I'm sure you were pretty encouraged to be a part of it. It was a good tired. You know, I'm sure you're, I, whenever we, we can really be fulfilled through serving each other. And I want to lift up Aaron. Aaron's been selflessly serving for a long time. We've seen him in the church bringing stuff in for years. Never, you know, not often getting thanked, showing up to Women's Day, showing up to every event to help. You know, I, it was cool to be able to give back to him. It was cool to be able to serve him for once. And it was hard for him. He wanted to do stuff. And I was like, you need to be married right now. <laughs> Just relax on the serving right now. But I know it meant the world to him that you guys served him. That's what the body of Christ is all about, this selfless service. I want to close out with a challenge from Colossians 3. I did, uh, this is worth mentioning. Um, when, when, when Paul speaks about sin in 2 Corinthians 5.15, this is how he phrases it that those who live should no longer live for themselves. It's just a side note, but I think it's important that that's what sin is when we live for ourselves. And when, in the family, in the home, with the wife and the kids and the, and the husband and, and relationships in the church, when we live for ourselves, sin is present. And that's when, that's, that's when schisms start to take place, when we begin to live for ourselves. So just a side note, it's actually right after the passage on Christ's love compelling us. So it's a good, it's a good uh, passage to look into. Okay, am I letting Christ's love compel me? Or am I living for myself here? So it was a good passage. But let's close out in Colossians 3, verse 1. Oh, man, I got a great quote coming up. I love this quote. It's a great book by Leonard Ravenhill. I love that book, man. It's called Why Revival Tarries. I read it like once a month. Um... But I have a great quote from the book. Let's look at a quote from the Holy Spirit first. Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now there's an important distinction made here. Why does he repeat himself twice? Well, he doesn't. He says, set your minds and your hearts. I think a lot of us can set our minds on things above. I wonder if we're setting our hearts on things above. This morning you might be cognitively and logically agreeing with my rhetoric. But I wonder if it's really hitting your heart. I wonder if when you read your scriptures this week, when you, when you have your quiet times, you might understand the passage. But I wonder if it's hitting anything in here. We, we can't, church, we can't just set our minds on things above. It won't, it won't create any change. We've got to set our hearts on things above. We could talk for a lot longer about what that means, but I want to encourage you, however that looks for you, if it's a little bit more time, if it's a little bit of it's going in nature, if it's a prayer walk, if it's a group thing, if it's an isolated thing, but to set our hearts and our minds on things above. And I think however you look at that, it goes back to really one thing, reading and praying. Reading and praying. I have a great, I have a great quote um, 
by Andrew uh, Bonner. It says, Oh, brother, pray. In spite of Satan, pray. Spend hours in prayer. Rather neglect friends than not pray. Rather fast and lose dinner, tea, lunch, supper, and sleep too than not pray. I love that. I think, man, spend hours in prayer. Rather neglect friends. He goes, dinner, dinner, tea, lunch. He's probably British. Dinner, tea, <laughs> lunch, supper, than not pray. And I think Andrew Bonner understood something. That we've got to set our hearts and our minds on things above if we're really going to be able to submit if we're really going to be able to have an amazing family where, where people can actually be true, be honest, be aware that there's dysfunction and sin, but to, but to understand that God's forgiveness and grace actually brings us closer together and that we can actually go about it together and not be harsh or isolate ourselves from one another. And to really truly understand that selfless service, uh, selfless service is the way to have fulfillment, that fulfillment comes through selfless service. Amen. To God be the glory. Let's go after it. Stand up. We're going to sing one final song.